Exit for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to all new, all different Uncanny Axis for Podcast, where we examine the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it begins its multi-title 80s expansion. I'm your host, Dylan. I'm your host, Nico. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive the experience. These issues are like six of the pinnacle of the early adventures of the New Mutants that set the book apart, not just from X-Men, but from everything else on the shelves. These six issues are fraught with intensity and... I love this era of the New Mutants. Today, we're going to be taking a look at New Mutants 13 and 14 by Chris Claremont and Sa Buscema, as well as Magic 1 through 4 by Chris Claremont and John Buscema. These six issues really put the New Mutants in a position to reach like awesome fucking new heights. They also are a little, and again, it feels weird that Kitty is a regular in this book that she's decidedly not in, but whatever. Now, I feel like this magic miniseries is one of those, like, holy grail of the X-Men situations. Jonah, this was definitely your first time reading it, but Dylan, had you read this magic mini before? I had. I'm not a huge current day magic fan, but when it comes to the 80s X-Men, I really loved Ileana. I remember reading this when I was younger, and then actually, I want to say, I think it was last summer, I actually got it in trade, and I've read it a handful of times since then. It is a really good story for Ileana. It's a little bit off story-wise compared to the rest of the X-Books, but it's really just giving depth to what Ileana and Magic are, and it's just a really good read, and I really love the combination at this point in time in Marvel Comics of where they were trying to expand the X-Men to not necessarily just be mutant-connected stories, that they're going to involve the rest of the Marvel world's magic and hell dimensions and things like that. I, too, am not the biggest fan of recent years of Ileana. She's not a bad character now, but I sometimes feel she's crazy to be crazy. She's dark and evil to be dark and evil. That just doesn't always sit right with me, especially when a character is supposed to have a wealth of other experiences and depth to show. Now, Jonah, I was so happy when we were talking about this and you described the miniseries in such glowing terms. Ileana went through some pretty rough things during her formative years in Limbo, and it's really interesting. I took such a, like, heavy liking, I can't really find another way to describe it to this story, because it felt like they weren't afraid to make a very dark story about a young girl who is basically abused by multiple people in her young life, and it was a really gritty, real story about survival and 
and your fight for your morality and humanity. Mutiny? Mutiny? Her mutancy, finally! We got an answer there! Finally, fucking Yeah, we learn in this miniseries that Ileana's mutant ability is she's able to summon the stepping disc of limbo to transport herself or anybody else through time and space through limbo, which is pretty busted. Not gonna say it's not. Yeah. It's really like. It's a pretty rough hellscape. It was really interesting, it just personally, to see what the shit Ileana went through, whether it's losing Storm or having her best friend be everyone's best friend when you're six, really did a number to her, to Belasco, to Sim, to all these different demons, uh, to having to kill Nightcrawler. All these, like, things that really shaped who Ileana is, it was really, it was just heartbreaking and it was just a very, like, I really didn't think that that's where they were going to go. I really wasn't expecting any of this. Stands to mention that anybody who is a Storm super fan. I'm pretty sure it's like this and the Asgardian Wars are everybody's favorite things to point to as to why Storm is so magically powerful. This really is a good story to go back and think about how powerful Storm can be in every way because when it comes to normal canon or Earth 616 Storm, there has been stories about her mysticism and powers beyond just her mutant abilities. And this is a really good story, not only for magic. I I wanted to point out the fact that the story itself is called Magic, Storm, and Ileana. So even though it's not regular Storm, it is a really good story for Storm as well. Yeah. I think it's actually a really good story for Claremont, too. One of the things that we have occasionally mentioned about Friend of the Pod, Chris C., is that he loves to lean into his iteration of characters, but he plays really nicely with everybody when it comes to Belasco, he managed to fit this into like a Kazar thing, and at the same time, he makes it work with his new mutants title. There was just so much fun to be had in this miniseries, despite the darkness. The best part about the magic miniseries for me is there actually are no male heroes in it. The only heroes are three women, and that's very different for this era. I don't think in the past I had really ever paid attention to that and realized that only men that were in it were evil. It's called Storm and Ileana. I really think it somehow should have had all three of them in it because this version of Kitty is pretty interesting as well and does help shape Ileana after she is able to get back to normal reality. If I was around at the time of when this came out, it would have been really interesting to talk to fans of that era to see their thoughts on a book that primarily focuses on three women. Three women and hot demon daddy. Yeah, although I'm way less attracted to him when he loses the horns and tail toward the end. I'm like, Same. oh, <laughs> that's what you got going on under the mega. His human form oh. doesn't do it for me. Yeah, he kind of looks like he owns a Winnebago or something. I'm just not into it. One thing that I really did like is the interplay of this scene from Uncanny with Kitty trying to pull her out. I thought that tie-in was so like, I know Chris definitely had that plan and he was definitely going to write the story whenever he was given the green light to do so, but it was still a really nice inclusion. And one of the things that I think worked so well in terms of inclusion is while this issue felt like it paid homage to the issue that took magic from her brother and turned her into what she would become, but it still managed to stand on its own. 
I don't feel like if you hadn't read that issue in some time, you would necessarily be that confused. I agree with you didn't need to read New Mutants or X-Men prior to really enjoy or understand this story. I had gotten this trade a year or two ago. As soon as I got it, I read it and I didn't feel like I was confused from not rereading New Mutants or X-Men prior because it is a really good standalone story. I kind of wish that these four issues would have just been one giant story like God Loves Man Kills because it is a really good large story that I think stands alone by itself and is very complementary to the characters that it revolves around. The examination of who Ileana is as a child is done with interesting care. I think, Jonah, you were making a joke when you said when you're six, everybody's your best friend, but there is some weird amount of attention paid to the characterization of a scared young child. It's handled genderlessly, and the road we take to the end of this book is so fraught with imagery, it's almost like fairy tale goth, but not like a gothic fairy tale. It's this constant showing her as a mischievous devil child, and it's the beauty of her soul poured into blood and put into a locket. Sure, it's simplified, and it's not exactly like we're reading Faust, but there is something really true to the idea of horror in this narrative. It's fitting that this is included in the New Mutants epic collection and also the Uncanny Omnibus line. The Uncanny Omnibus line has it in the same volume as the issue of Uncanny X-Men that it's meant to go inside of, and the New Mutants collection has it after issue 12? I can only assume that's because they wanted it before issue 14 and there wouldn't have been room in the second volume, but the intensity this ratchets up the book to fits the Sienkiewicz era that will follow soon after, now, Jonah, you did mention something about Ileana's mutant powers finally being revealed. Before I weigh in on my thoughts on Ileana's mutant abilities being controlling the stepping discs of Limbo, I want to know your guys' thoughts on Ileana's powers conveniently being that she's magically connected to the dark dimension she was stolen away to, and that never came up in the original tale. Yes, it's very, well, we have to get her in the situation somehow if this is what we're going to be doing. The way I feel about it is, because Ileana's mutant powers are so hyper-specific, it feels weird to have this kind of forced manufactured reason to put her in limbo to discover her mutant abilities. I think potentially a better story would have been her powers developing and then like she accidentally falling into limbo and all this happening but then you would have to wait six years because she's still a child and mutant abilities don't seem to appear until like puberty it was just i don't mind characters having such hyper specific abilities it's fine to have that trait in a character but i would really prefer if that situation came about a better way you know it feels kind of the best way i want to say it it feels kind of pointed that he was like well she's in limbo she was kidnapped here now we could have her mutant power like no i don't know not my favorite i agree with jonah it's a bit of a cop-out they had this character they brought iliana along with colossus and didn't know what they wanted to do with her so they just had her stick around for a while and then had her be in new mutants books and then this story came along and this story is great because it was connecting more of the x-men world to other aspects and realms of marvel with sorcery and limbo and things like that i love 
love Claremont, but I think he may have at that point in time just decided, hey, why don't we just have Ileana's power be this too? And it's just so, it was just too convenient to be happening at the exact same time that they just left that limbo world. I do not disagree with your guys' assessment, and it would only take one line to fix it. I always knew you would have power over limbo, so I wanted your power, because with your bloodstone locket, I will, like, be the stepping discs now, or whatever. I am the Senate. (laughs) I am Queen's Boulevard. I am the stepping discs. So, I feel like it is one of the bigger faults of Claremont's occasionally thrown together at all odd storytelling, but truly, whether it's cat sacrifice, well, cat being turned into a cat is sexualized, problematic, and I'm not crazy about it. You can tell this is still at the point where Claremont is really into his manga and anime, because that is very Japanese to have a subservient cat woman. Absolutely. And I really appreciate Cat's sacrifice. I really appreciate Storm's sacrifice. They were sad and hard to deal with. You know, it was like, oh, this is tragic. This is seeing a worst case scenario of two characters I love dying because I'm used to seeing Kitty in this role. And at one point I was kind of used to seeing Aurora in the Ileana role. And now all of a sudden they're the old ones who die to protect the child. I do and will forever have an enormous problem with, oh my god, I just pulled this sword out of nowhere. (laughs) Where did this sword come from? Oh my god, you guys, did you guys know I had a sword? Like, the very, like, gilly sort of (laughs) behavior about this sword is a little ridiculous. Oh, this is how I'm going to see Ileana for the rest of my life. You're going to see her as gilly? (laughs) Okay, but like... Wouldn't if that was the entire So happy I've done this to you. What if that wasn't like the entire character and like it was just like like that? I would think that'd be pretty funny and interesting. I mean, yeah, I'm all about that terrifying Dennis the Menace of sorcery life, but you know like, like what if she was the the Cher Horowitz of Mutantum? You know, if she was concerned that people lost everything, and that includes sporting equipment, I would love it. But what she seems concerned with is she hasn't stabbed enough people yet and that's not lovable honestly she's finally the weird character they've been threatening us with they have constantly been like oh but she's weird oh but she's weird and i mean it started with jonah being like is everybody else finding it kind of pejorative that they're calling the young woman from another country weird for no reason and like now she's weird now she's weird, you guys. Ileana, it's how Ileana got her weird on. And it's a very different story than how Stella got her groove back, but they both end with the guy being gay. So. <laughs> Wait, Belasco or Colossus is gay? Coloss- Ultimate Colossus is gay. <laughs> is he really? I did not know that. Yeah. Good for that Colossus. I feel Good bad for, for that Colossus. I also feel pretty horrible yeah, for any time. Yeah, it's a loose-loose. Yeah, that's... God. The only thing that can fuck him is a sentinel. So, anyway. Does Belasco have a connection to the Savage Land? Having statues of Savage Land residents? What, like, what's the story there? So, the Savage Land is a mystically powerful location. It's just one of those, oh, it's got a lot of magic kind of situations. Not a whole lot of story or depth to it. It's just, up oh, super magical. And that's really the sum total of it. I think Claremont was trying to be a team player and be like, 
like up and up. Look over there. They they used Belasco, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tip my hat to them, sir. One of the things that I love about '80s comics and '70s comics, and you know, even even more modern comics, but you know, now we have the characters sort of wax poetic and imagine it, and we see them walk through scenes of their nemeses, predicting what they'll do, and it's this very ephemeral, intense experience. And when you go back to the 1980s, it's just bad guys walking around golems they've made of their enemies going, and I'll kill this one with a stick, and I'll kill this one with a brick. And like, that's all it is. I really think it's just that he was like, oh, I created these statues. I'm gonna yell at them. Because that's not weird. Well, I mean, he's the devil, so I don't think he makes a lot of great choices. Speaking of make great choices, I'm going to be really honest. I don't like Amara in number 13. New Mutants number 13, Amara is unbearable. I I agree. She is... Very, I guess, just annoying. Uh, she is brought to the team, and I, I, if anything, she should be very grateful, but all she is is just very, in her own way, kind of prudish and unthankful for these friends of hers saving her. I will say, though, I will completely agree with the fact that when Xavier showed her her room and it looks like everything from her past and she yells at him for invading her mind. Just one more tally mark for creepy Xavier ruining young girls' minds. If I could throw Xavier one mile closer to the sun for every time he's gone into someone's mind illicitly, he is in the Alpha Centauri sun by now. And that's only with the times that he's invaded young teenage girls' minds, let alone every other time that he's done it to actual adults. Stop saying young teenage girls' minds. It's putting us on a list. <laughs> teenage minds but, of young girls. There we go. Hey, real quick, Nico. So, <laughs> teenage minds of young girls. Nico, real quick, um, because you said that, could, I didn't know when are you going to start saying things like us being on that list of that one thing. <laughs> Uh, as oh, soon okay. as they replied. Plus, anyway, they probably don't want to be compared to a list of pedophiles. Oh, yeah. oh no, yeah. I would imagine that. Hey, by the way, speaking of lists. Speaking of lists, you can now make your lists on listicle.com. No, we're not sponsored uh, by them. Okay. Not yet. So, oh, God. so, I actually don't really think there's anything particularly redeeming about New Mutants number 13. I find myself really frustrated by how aggressively hateful Amara is. And once again, this is one of those Kitty Pride is a regular in this book. Kitty Pride is such a fucking regular in the New Mutants, a book she's not even supposed to be in, that she gets side characters in it. Oh, you you should have, um, uh, uh, because when you said, um, Kitty Pride is so included, I should have said, how included is she? That's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then you Jesus answered Christ. it. <laughs> and then you answered it by saying... So. <laughs> Speaking of Kitty yeah. and her starring in this issue, this is Doug's first appearance, right? Uh, you know. Okay, yeah. Doug Ramsey. Speaking, speaking <laughs> Kitty, of Kitty... Kitty Pride's Kitty. friend. <laughs> speaking speaking of Kitty and her basically starring in this New Mutants book, 
in this issue, we are introduced to her best friend at school. Uh, it's Doug Ramsey, and we will soon be seeing more of him. But yeah, just wanted to point that out that with Kitty's basically starring in this issue, we get the first appearance of a very important X-Men character, Doug. It's really true. Claremont, it just feels like he... Uh, oh my oh my god. It just... Okay, okay, the, you know, they say what you want about the quality of his character, but Gaston is one of those most perfect pieces of music. You know, when I think about, like, all-time greatest singer-songwriter, like, or <clears throat> I think about all-time greatest music lyricist kind of combinations, I think about Kander and Ebb, and I certainly think about Ashman and Mencken, and I specifically love how Mencken, how Ashman could move a story forward through lyrics, and Gaston is one of those perfect examples of, I have no idea why I start a story, give me a second. (laughs) Okay. I'm sure there's a really legitimate reason. Oh my god, I understand now, and you'll hear why I remember. Right? And there's this moment in it when Gaston says, now the wheels in my head have been turning since I looked at that loony old man, like... That moment where your the light goes on in your head, I just had it. I had that moment. Like I expect Jonah to be going, no, but she. And Dylan's gonna go, wait, but he. No, I get it. And I, that's where I'm at right now because the reason Claremont was able to get his ball rolling in about six issues on Uncanny X Men is because he had 66 issues to reference. Now, admittedly. We've come to find that he only knew certain eras, specifically the Roy Thomas era, because he only had access to what he had access to, which is why he focused on Havoc and Lorna, because he knew them well. So Claremont works best with a backlog to source from and develop from and grow from. He didn't do the kind of seeding he would go on to do for his other titles. So I keep feeling like we're saying, yep, now it's new, yep, now it's new, yep, now it's... but who the new mutants are for the longest stretch comes into play for the most part around the Bilsenkevich era. So around issue 21 or so, the new mutants are solidified as a team. And we're still a couple of characters off from that. We're seeing them introduced, but they're not necessarily regulars yet. And I think issue 14 did a lot to help us see how Ileana could become a part of this team organically and naturally. I feel like they put it off for so long it would have been hard to see how it was possible, but I loved issue 14 as a turning point. It kind of seems like the new mutants are like, she's a freak, but she's our little freak. I would agree with when you were discussing that we keep saying that this is when New, new Mutants starts and this is when New Mutants starts, but it really, it kind of is. I feel like the first dozen issues that we read I don't think there was too much growth in the five characters that we have, six if you, six and seven if you count Magic and Kitty. I just feel like some of those stories were not character developing stories or character depth stories. And I don't know if it's maybe just the fact that we are getting more characters added to the lineup, like more appearances of Kitty and Ileana and the addition of Amara, and how we will see more of Doug. This really does feel like a younger school generation team of mutants, finally, because the first dozen issues, it didn't really seem like there was too much 
interaction between the five characters of Sam and Danny and Birdo and Rain and Shan, it just seemed like they were just automatically friends and they were fine and never any depth between all of them. But these issues, there's more depth, like even just one subtle line of Danny getting jealous that Birdo is flirting with Amara. We hadn't really seen too much of Danny wanting to flirt with characters. I mean, there was hints of her and Sam, but that was about it. And yeah, I, I completely agree with this being when New Mutants really starts to pick up. New Mutants number 13, Amara, is unbearable. I agree. She is very, <laughs> I guess, just annoying. She is brought to the team and... If anything, she should be very grateful, but all she is is just very, in her own way, kind of prudish and unthankful for these friends of hers saving her. I will say, though, I will completely agree with the fact that when Xavier showed her her room and it looks like everything from her past and she yells at him for invading her mind, one more tally mark for creepy Xavier ruining young girls' minds. If I could throw Xavier one mile closer to the sun for every time he's gone into someone's mind illicitly, he is in the Alpha Centauri sun by now. And that's only with the times that he's invaded young teenage girls' minds, let alone every other time that he's done it to actual adults. Stop saying young teenage girls' minds. It's putting us on a list. <laughs> teenage minds of young girls. There we go. So I actually don't really think there's anything particularly redeeming about New Mutants number 13. I find myself really frustrated by how aggressively hateful Amara is. And once again, this is one of those Kitty Pride is a regular in this book. Kitty Pride is such a fucking regular in the New Mutants, a book she's not even supposed to be in. How included is she? That she gets side characters in it. Speaking of Kitty starring in this issue, in this issue we are introduced to her best friend at school, Doug Ramsey, and we will soon be seeing more of him. The reason Claremont was able to get his ball rolling in about six issues on Uncanny X-Men is because he had 66 issues to reference. Now, admittedly, we've come to find that he only knew certain eras, specifically the Rick Thomas era. He only had access to what he had access to, which is why he focused on Havoc and Lorna, because he knew them well. So Claremont works best with a backlog to source from and develop from. He didn't do the kind of seeding he would go on to do for his other titles. So I keep feeling like we're saying, yep, now it's new. Yep, now it's new. Yep, now it's... But who the New Mutants are comes into play in issue 21 or so. The New Mutants are solidified as a team. We're still a couple of characters off from that. We're seeing them introduced, but they're not necessarily regulars yet. Issue 14 did a lot to help us see how Ileana could become a part of this team organically and naturally. I feel like they put it off for so long it would have been hard to see how it was possible, but I loved issue 14 as a turning point. It kind of seems like the New Mutants are like, she's a freak, but she's our little freak. The first dozen issues that we read, I don't think there was too much growth in the five characters that we have, six and seven if you count Magic and Kitty. I just feel like some of those stories were not character developing stories or character depth stories. I don't know if it's maybe just the fact that we are getting 
getting more characters added to the lineup, like more appearances of Kitty and Ileana and the addition of Amara and how we will see more of Doug. This really does feel like a younger school generation team of mutants finally because the first dozen issues it didn't really seem like there was too much interaction between the five characters of Sam and Danny and Birdo and Rain and Shan. They were just automatically friends and they were fine and never any depth between all of them. These issues, there's more depth. Like even just one subtle line of Danny getting jealous that Birdo is flirting with Amara. We hadn't really seen too much of Danny wanting to flirt with characters. I mean, there was hints of her and Sam, but that was about it. Hello everyone, I'm Jonah. I'm Dylan. Since we just covered the first of what I hope is many Ileana short stories about where she got her power set and a little bit of her formative years, I want to ask you, Dylan, about magic users within the X-Verse. So far we've covered magic, who we just recently got. We have Amanda Sefton, who will later be known as Day Tripper, as well as Margali Savros, Kurt Wagner's adoptive mother. How do magic users affect the X-teams that they're on? Are there more mutants that are also trained in the arcane arts? When it comes to the magic users, I mentioned this in our episode. I feel like Marvel was adding magic to X-Books because at this point in time, that few decades or so of X-Men comics have mainly had most of the X-Men just sticking with X-Men related things and then occasionally throwing in an Avenger thing here or there. But they weren't really connecting the X-Men to like other elements and factors of Marvel comics. And this was really the beginning of what would actually be several characters in like X-Men history of characters. Um, Another thing to mention, we just recently had a storyline in New Mutants where we got introduced to the X-Men villain, Selene, and she was actually using magic and her power to attack the people of Nova Roma. So that's another introduction of a magic user. There will be several characters throughout the next few decades. And just to throw out a few that most people know a lot about, there's newer characters like Pixie, more villains like Implate. Because Wanda Scarlet Witch is a mutant and she's her mutant powers are very similar to Arcane Arts, is Wiccan himself a mutant? I don't know a lot about Wiccan, but I know that he has similar magic stuff. So is it magic or is it mutant or is it a similar kind of thing to like Selene where he uses a conjuration of both? When it comes to Wiccan, that's another character that I should have had on my list of magical mutant-related characters. Wiccan's history is a little confusing for people that might not know anything about Wiccan, but his powers are very similar to Scarlet Witch. It's magic and mutant ability, so Wiccan is a prime example of another character that has been a part of magic and the arcane. Another character that I just wanted to mention real quick, in recent years there was a younger version of Beast in the realm of X-Men, and he was also delving into magic and learning from Doctor Strange. So from what it sounds like, there are at least a good number of them, but it also seems like sometimes feels like they're shoehorning in. There aren't very many in when you're already dealing with mutants who are already magical in their own right, I guess it feels not as special. Because how would you feel if Ileana just had her mutant ability of the stepping discs of Limbo and she wasn't trained in the arcane arts? Do you think she would be 
still as, I don't even know if she is popular or not, but as received as she is, do you think it would change fundamentally who she is? I think it actually would. It kind of seemed very convenient that her powers also started to revolve around limbo and magic, but I don't think she would be as popular as she was if she didn't have it. She would just be another teleporter, and when it comes to mutants, teleporters are kind of a dime a dozen. So adding that element of magic to be an important part of Ileana's story is pretty important, and it is a very coincidental thing or convenient thing, but I believe it's a really great element to then, when they had this happen in comics, to start having characters that weren't so just solely dependent upon their mutant powers, that they could have a story that didn't basically revolve around their powers, or they might just have a crappy power, not saying the teleportation is a crappy power, but like I said, they're a dime a dozen, so to make her be more important with other aspects of things that she could learn, and I think it also kind of slightly makes readers not think that mutants are too godlike, that in a sense they're kind of you know, we're all tiny little ants in the, in a universe and mutants might seem like gods because they have powers, but really there's a whole giant world out there of things and there's a whole magic world out there too. So it's great to have a mutant that would be able to help the X-Men in the magic realm of possibilities. Having someone trained in arcane art, I think could really add to a character and it's really interesting how you can play a dynamic of the discipline that has to go into learning arcane art, similar to how someone would have to learn how to control the mutant powers. My last quick question, we get to see Storm as a sorceress. Is there any character that you would love to see randomly just have arcane powers? Your wish list of someone you would love to see it have. Doesn't even have to be make any logical sense. Um, I mean, there's my absolute two favorite characters of Warpath and Monet. And when it comes to history of Monet, her brother, who you have yet to see and learn a lot about, he is a, very much very similar to Celine when it comes to being a mutant vampire of a sort. But he does have magical abilities, so I, I would love the fact if Monet could be just like her brother and have some magical abilities too, but she already has like a billion superpowers anyway, so maybe she doesn't need that, and then I would fall back onto my other favorite character, Warpath, and I would think it would be really awesome if he learned some sort of shaman abilities from his tribe. What's a few more powers to Monet anyway? I do agree with your choices. Alright, I think that's all from us. Until next time. With the issues that we've covered today, we've pretty much solidified Ileana as... Weirdo. Weirdo. A weirdo real <laughs> character within the X-Universe who can now do things. She's no longer the young girl. With her backstory unlocked to everyone, she can now be placed on teams and to have real interaction with people, because for the most part, it kind of felt like they didn't know what to do with her, and now we have a reason to do stuff with her. And not Nope. Anyway, until next time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ray, you are now on a list. That's fine. <laughs> Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group. That is called House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everybody find you? Throwing a hissy fit because someone spilled wine on my mother's dress that she gave to me. And I don't, I've never heard of seltzer before. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? <laughs>
You guys can find me all over this amazing network. I love getting to be a part of all the different feeds of X's for Podcasts, like We Are Krakoa, 80s Mutant Mania, The Miracle of Marvel Man, and more. Don't forget to check out HTML, where we will be covering Star Wars, Force Legacy, all 2020. As well as, you can check out my work, like Kid Riot, my inclusive queer superhero comic, over at KidRiotComics.com. Our X-Men news portal, We Are Krakoa, at WeAreKrakoa.com. As well as, me taking off my shirts over on Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C. O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, I love being here. I love being with you guys. And until we come back, we'll see you. Goodbye.